This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Let's go back in time to 1932 as Converse brings you historic footage of the legendary original Celtics with whom all great professional teams are compared. We have now taken over your radio. Richie Guerin is about to show you the most important step in getting past a man. It's the first one. And Oscar will inbound it. The men in green, the Milwaukee Bucks, that's Al Cinder against Bellamy. It has Jordan. Allen shakes three, gets two! Gilmore. to go in the first quarter for the Cow Palace. Here's Barry. Jordan. Open. Chicago with the lead. Hello and welcome back to the Over and Back NBA podcast at thepodiumgame.com, which is part of the HB Basketball Network. I'm Jason Mann. Joining me again is Rich Krejci. Rich, glad to have you back uh, talking about some old school NBA. Oh, yeah, this is going to be a particularly fun episode. This came together, I think, honestly, <laughs> with like, what, two days notice. Uh, we got a guest. We, we got all the research done. And then now you and I, we had a, I think, 15 second production meeting before. So but this is these are the ones that always turn out really good. You know what I mean? Like the ones that we spend weeks researching and stuff are still good, but this one I feel is going to be awesome. I, I can't wait for this let's one. Let's not hype it up too much. I mean, I don't want to disappoint people, Rich. Let's, let's, not, let's not get crazy with the expectations. Yeah, once we start getting confident, that's when we start. There you go. Because I think our, our, our bashing us and like, oh, I don't know why they kept us on the air. That that kept us hungry. And now, exactly. yeah, I, I, I now, now we're getting saying. cocky. We're not even. Yeah, I see what you're saying. No, I, I got you. Yeah. yeah. So this one's going to suck. All right. This is going to be fair awesome. enough. So we're going to talk about the uh, topic of uh, NBA expansion, which, you know, maybe doesn't sound like the sexiest topic at all. But I, I think it's just kind of fascinating. I, you know, we're so accustomed to a, a pretty stable, you know, both NBA and overall sports landscape when it comes to professional sports. I mean, yeah, sure, sure there's been expansion, you know, in our lifetimes here and there. Uh, I don't think there have been any uh, teams that have gone away, at least not in the major sports. Um, certainly some, some moving of cities, but for the most part, you know, the, the the way the conferences and such have been aligned has been pretty similar for the past, you know, 20 to 30 years, depending on sure. the sport. And But that was, of course, not always the case, uh, you know, particularly in the NBA. We've talked about it a little bit before, but just so much – um, expansion in the NBA and really in the other major sports um, in the uh, in the 60s and 70s and just what an upheaval that um, you know felt like to uh, you know sports fans. I mean, sports fans are kind of averse to change anyway. I guess most people are, and so to completely change the landscape like that, I guess unless you're in one of the cities where you're getting a team, is just sort of like you know ah I don't know what to do kind of thing. Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely startling, and yeah, we'll run some of the numbers here, but yeah, the 60s and 70s, I can't imagine being a fan at that time and that and especially just i it, it's kind of fun though i i 
you know, we'll, I'll probably never, I mean, obviously I live in Chicago, so I'm never really, I don't know if I'll ever have that feeling of the only thing that would come close is if like we got another football team or something like that. But just that feeling of intrigue to be a Seattle or something like that and be getting an MLB team and an NBA team in the same, you know, in a similar time frame or whatever, just, it, it's gotta be fun. And it's just so different. I just don't know if we're ever going to get, I, I just, I don't think it's possible that we'll ever get anything near what we had in the sixties or seventies just because you know what I mean? Who are those markets that we're still kind of, it's not like in one year, you know, there's always kind of the teams that are floated around in all the sports and the Vegases and, you know, Virginia and Nashville. And that's, but I don't think it's going to be something where like one year they just add five teams. You know what I mean? Yeah, that doesn't seem super likely. No. So, yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about just sort of the impact of expansion on the NBA. You know, did it really water down the NBA? How significant? Yeah, I, I think you crunched some numbers on the disparity mm-hmm. in records in expansion seasons. Um, you know, maybe uh, asking the question if any of the expansion drafts hurt any possible dynasties or title teams. Uh, and, you know, just talking about, you know, some of the, obviously not all expansion teams are created equal. Some you know, uh, from the jump, you know, we're pretty good. Uh, some were really bad for a long time and, and failed in their initial city. So it's kind of interesting to uh, compare and contrast that. And of course, you know, the notable players in um, each expansion draft, I think that's um, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Like Hall of Famers. We're, we're going to cover all those Hall of Famers, notable players, funny players as well. So sure, sure. I mean, Rory, Rory Sparrow needs his his <laughs> Rory Sparrow needs his day in the sun. Right. Exactly. So we're, we're not going to gloss over him. Of course yeah, not. No, it's it's, it's going to be a great show. I can't. Yeah. Believe. So, um, yeah, I just kind of want to do a brief comparison over how fast the other major sports expanded. Because the NBA, um, they added a team in uh, in 61, the um, Chicago Packers, 62 season, and then went to, then added um, basically eight teams in five years. Um, then, so through 71, we're up to 17 teams, and then added the Jazz, and then added the four ABA teams in 77, which I don't consider that quite the same. You know, even though obviously there's that similar upheaval, you're when you're adding established teams, I think it's a different dynamic because mm-hmm. you're. And, and, and as we sort of saw with those teams as well, it wasn't sort of your run in the middle because a lot of these expansion teams get like the the bottom halves or you know the bottom bottom of of. of you know, rosters and try to make a team out of that. And you saw those ABA teams get acclimated pretty quickly because they were a legit league that we found out, you know, a legit league with legit players and that, and legit teams. So yeah, I, I don't like to count them necessarily in the same thing as well. Cause I don't think it's quite the same. Yeah. And, and, and hockey, I think was, is the most similar to uh, NBA. In fact, it kind of even expanded faster because they doubled the league in 67 from six to 12 teams. And then they added two more each in 70 and 72 and in 74, so they went from six to 18 teams in, I, I think, seven years. Yeah. And then they had a merger in 79 um, and then added a bunch of teams in the 90s. But that was, you know, kind of the big 12-year flurry. Um, again, you know, that was bolstered by a merger, but that's still quite a bit, a similar rate, I think, to the NBA. And it kind of makes sense because the NBA and NHL are the most similar sports in terms of when they have their seasons, number of games, mm-hmm. you know, all, all that kind of thing. And, and uh, you know, obviously, I, I, the, most of the century was dominated by baseball. I think, you know, the NFL kind of um, – became heated competition in the uh, 60s and then the NBA really made its mark in the 80s and the NHL has you know kind of been the fourth sport has, has, has shown some growth but is you know definitely behind the other three um, certainly yeah yeah and the NFL um, they they were actually relatively slow they had the they had 12 teams added a couple each in 60 or added one each in 60 and 61 then again in 67 and 68 and then they made the big they added the 10 um, 
AFL teams in 70 and then have just added, you know, a, a few teams uh, since state to 32. So they, they're really their big jump was the, you know, the merger. The actual expansion was relatively slow. And then right. baseball, they around the same time, 61, 62, they added two teams each both years and then 69 they added four more teams so they went from 16 to 24 in eight years and then added again a couple in 77 and then added a few, a few more in the 90s but um so theirs was you know kind of fast but they already had a lot of teams so i don't think it quite had the same level of impact it's not like doubling your league like the nhl did or the nba yeah. uh you know almost did so um, so yeah, I, I, I think there's some interesting, um, diff differences between those, uh, groups. So, so I think we're gonna, um, we're gonna talk to, we're excited to have him back. We're going to talk to, uh, Curtis Harris of, uh, prohoopshistory.com about, um, just what's so fascinating about expansion and, and some of his thoughts on, uh, you know, different expansion teams and different, uh, stories from the, uh, from this time in the NBA. So, uh, yeah, he got mad at us for not inviting him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, uh, why did you call me? Well, all right, fine. Yeah. So we have, um, like, as we mentioned in the first episode, we have him on retainer now. I don't remember if we said that off air or I, I believe we had, air, but... uh, well, either way people know now. So, <laughs> yeah, so, so we'll be back in, uh, in a minute with uh, Curtis Harris. All right, and we're back here. We are talking to the great Curtis Harris of Pro Hoops History. Uh, <laughs> That's a lofty intro. <laughs> uh, of ProHoopsHistory.com. Uh, Curtis, uh, welcome back to the program. All right. I think I'm your first two-time guest. Yeah, so uh, I we're so glad to have you here. You you know we announced that we were going to talk a little bit about expansion teams, and uh, you were a gamely volunteered to talk about it with us. So, uh, first question: What's just so fascinating about the history of NBA expansion? Just kind of the idea itself to you. I mean, it's it's kind of like this. It's like a um, like an American history, but like through basketball terms that like, you know, the United States started like hugged up on the East coast. And so like the NBA pretty much did the same kind of thing. It was hugged up on the East coast, a little bit in the Midwest, but then slowly they start to spread out. And, um, you know, the Lakers are the first team out on the West coast, although they're not expansion, but still like they moved out there. And, uh, by the late sixties, you had the Phoenix Suns as an expansion team. And then by like 1975, they had added into the Blazers and, um, the Sonics and all those teams. So, it's just cool to see like the NBA like finally spread its wings, be able to like get stronger and expand, and um, yeah, just add on a lot of teams in a lot of places uh, where people finally got some NBA basketball. Uh, certainly, who's who's your favorite expansion team? Because we all kind of have our, our, our favorites, and essentially, I'm hoping you're going to say the 1961 Chicago Packers, and I want you to give us your, your favorite Chicago Packers memories, because because we just got done talking about a half an hour about our, our favorite memories. So so what are yours? And and your your memories growing up and watching Packers. Yeah, your your so. Charlie your Charlie Tyra memories. <laughs> right. yeah. My child, I have no memories of the Chicago Packers. Like I'm. Oh, okay. Like come on, man. I'm I'm, I'm way too young to have watched. The no, Chicago we didn't, none of us had anything either. We have no idea. We, <laughs> yeah, we, we, I, we have no idea. So. <laughs> yeah. Just like a, a couple of clips on YouTube. Uh, but that's <laughs> the, the, the coolest thing about the Chicago Packers is that they robbed the New York Knicks of the number one pick in that draft. Uh, it was 1961, I think. Yeah, 61. Because yep. the Knicks, uh, their owner, Ned Irish, he was obsessed with finding a good center. So he would always draft, and the Knicks sucked back then. And so they would always draft at number one, some big stiff of a center, and they never got it right. But in 1961, Walt Bellamy was going to be the number one pick, clearly. And he was actually, like, finally, like, a surefire, like, he's actually going to be successful. 
But the Packers got it founded as an expansion team, and Ned Irish raised hell, saying, like, you know, Nick and it, like, we finished, like, he's bragging about how bad the Knicks were. He was like, we finished last in, in the 1961 season. We deserve the number one pick in the 1961 draft. But the other owners were like, we're sticking tight to Ned Irish because he got on everybody's nerves. And they said, basically, you know, F you, we're giving the number one pick to the Chicago Packers. So the Packers got Walt Bellamy. And uh, a few years later, Ned Irish finally traded for Bellamy, like in 1965 or so. So he always had like a, a Jones for getting Walt Bellamy. He was just like the Captain Ahab going after the white whale. He was just always trying to get Walt Bellamy. <laughs> it's funny. Remember how expansion or uh, uh, sorry, tanking just started these past few years? Yeah, not 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 historic yeah. at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, never have never happened in the past. Just damn you, Sam Hinkie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you jerk, ruining our league. Yeah. Well, this just another one. Uh, another one that I think actually kind of shifted the course of NBA history for a few years uh, was the the Suns in 1968, and they did their expansion draft. And the LA Lakers left Gail Goodrich unprotected in the expansion draft. And you remember that um, 1968, that offseason, season, uh, that's when the Lakers traded for Will Chamberlain. So conceivably, if they weren't stupid, they could have left like <laughs> Gail Goodrich. They would have had Elgin Baylor, Jerry West, and Will Chamberlain, all those four, in the 1969 finals against the Lakers or against the Celtics. And um, the series went seven as it was. So with Gail Goodrich on the side of the Lakers, they probably would have won that series easily. But hey, they were dumb. They left Gail Goodrich unprotected. So was there like a justification for that at the time, or I've I've not seen any justification for it. Only thing I could think of is that um, you know they knew he was decent. Like he averaged like 13 or 15 points a game. Uh, so they probably figured they would have to pay him a little too much money. And again, trading for Will Chamberlain, that is going to cost a lot of money to have Will on the team. Sure. But I can't imagine Gil Gerwitz would have cost that much money where you could if you couldn't afford to pay him with Will Chamberlain. Yeah. I mean, they, he did make a pretty significant leap, you know, in production when he went to Phoenix, for sure. It was an all-star first first time there. So, yeah, uh, yeah that's definitely um, interesting. Can you think of any other good uh, stories of just, uh, you know, I- I- expansion stories of inept owners or weird teams or just general madness? I mean, let's see. Well, you know, let's, I guess let's keep moving along chronologically, like the, sure. the New Orleans Jazz. They're, they're basically uh, the answer to this question. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, that was just a total disaster, the whole existence. Um, yeah, they came around like 74, I believe. And, um, yeah, 74, 75 seasons. Yep. And again, hey, Walt Bellamy, he comes up again. He's one of my favorite players. <laughs> uh, he, he played one game with the New Orleans Jazz that season. But he was perfect. He made both of his field goals. I think he made both of his free throws in the game he played. So Walt was perfect, and then he retired, or after he got cut. But uh, you can make it more rosy. He retired after that perfect game, six points, perfect from the field. Uh, but the Jazz were pretty terrible. They had like 25 players on the roster that first season, and like uh, three or four different coaches. It was a complete mess, and gave away the whole farm to get Pete Maravich. A couple of, uh, the very next season, I think they traded like three draft picks to the Hawks. And then when they got Gail Goodrich, he comes up again. Uh, like, credit for Gail Goodrich from the Lakers. <laughs> they gave away, like, a, another two or three draft picks. One of them became Magic Johnson. So yeah, they, they totally did not run their franchise right. And it's pretty obvious why they moved five years later to go to Utah. Yeah, um, maybe we sort of asked, and I don't know if you necessarily answered, but who, who was your favorite expansion team? If you had to pick one that you just, you're fascinated by or something interesting, maybe one that you haven't mentioned before, yeah. who would it be? 
Well, my, the most fascinating one, I think, is the Indianapolis Olympians, uh, who started playing like 1950. Um, and they're really odd because they were actually uh, partly owned by the players on the team. And most of the players had played for the University of Kentucky. And they had also played for the 1948 U.S. Olympic team, so that's why they had the name Indianapolis Olympians. Um, but they, they, they have a pretty great team uh, for their first two seasons because they had, like, Alex Groza and Ralph Beard. Uh, both of them were all-stars and were on the first team All-NBA. But then Ralph Beard and Alex Groza got caught up in a gambling scandal uh, dating back to their college days. Uh, not, nothing in the NBA. They had never done anything in the NBA. But it, while at Kentucky, they took money to shave points. So they didn't throw the game, but they, like, kind of let up at the end of a game. They let it go back to the betting margin. Uh, but the NBA, uh, they banned both of those guys for life. So the Olympians staggered, and they uh, faded away by 1955. They just folded, went out of business. Uh, so that's kind of like, I think, actually one of the most interesting teams ever in the history of the NBA because it was player-owned, uh, the, the, the gambling scandal, which I think has a lot of unanswered questions because a lot of players were taking money in those college scandals. And those are the only two NBA players that happen to get caught up in it. So you have to wonder, like, uh, did the NBA, like, just specifically target this team that was player-owned so it would be easier to ban those two guys instead of targeting the Knicks, who were owned by Ned Irish, who was pretty powerful, or the Philadelphia Warriors with Eddie Gottlieb, another powerful guy. Maybe they decided to go after the weakest team, the weakest link they could, and get rid of that team and kind of put a, a hush on the whole gambling situation. I also like that the uh, Olympians have a player named Wawa Jones, which is now my new favorite uh, NBA name. <laughs> Wawa, yeah, Wawa is pretty good. Never yeah, looks like he's, it. He's pretty good player. Yeah. Um. Uh, so, um, that's a good one. I wasn't actually familiar with that story. So that's that's pretty awesome. Um, do um, is there? Do you think there's like a key to having a successful expansion team, or maybe just something that like to avoid that? You know, the the owners of these teams or GMs, you know, constantly made mistakes. Maybe it's just like going after like the local star or, or something along those lines. Uh, I, I think the best way to have success is for the ownership to to kind of take a long-term view and not just try to immediately make the playoffs within, like, you know, two or three seasons. Uh, like, the, the best example of that is, like, the Charlotte Bobcats, uh, where they uh, always were just trying to, like, just make the playoffs. Like, just make the playoffs. we got to get the fans back instead of kind of taking a long-term approach and just kind of taking a breath and realizing, like, we are an expansion team, and this isn't, like, 1968. When, like, you expand, it's only filling, like, 13 to 14 teams, and it's still you got a good shot at the top talent. I mean, that's how the Bucks won a title. Like, they got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar their second season. Uh, but the Bobcats, you got to realize, like, you're not going to get the number one pick that that fast. So you got to just kind of – well, actually, they did. They got, like, number two pick. They kind of sucked at that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, they got to make a hold for it. sucks for them. Uh, but, you know, it's like it's just realizing that you got to kind of take a long-term approach. So I think the Dallas Mavericks in the early 80s were the best – uh, from now, just like a pure luck, because the, the Bucks like won a coin flip and got cream. But the Mavericks had a pretty good uh, build up of their team, where they they kind of swindled the Cleveland Cavaliers for a few draft picks, like everybody was back then uh, with Ted Stevens. <laughs> so they were able to corral a lot of draft picks, and they got you know the first like three or four years of their existence, they got Rolando Blackman, Mark Aguirre, uh Derek Harper. Um, uh, who's the guy? Uh, can't remember the name of their big center. James Donaldson, that's what it was. James Donaldson. Uh, they got a lot of good, good young players through the expansion draft and through the regular draft the first couple of years. And they just took it slow, and they slowly rose 
you know, like 25 wins or so when they first started to, you know, mid-50 uh, number of wins by like 1986-87 and made the conference finals in 88. So uh, pretty good success, I think, that the, the Mavericks, the best expansion team in terms of building up. Sure. Uh, an interesting aspect that we sort of talked about a little bit and, and like to hear your thoughts. Um, any would-be NBA title contenders or teams that would have, you think, been title contenders that, that maybe did not become that because of the expansion draft where they lost a player that would have huh. been key down the line or something like that? Is there one that sticks yeah. out to you? Huh. I've never really considered. Uh, I gave the example of the Lakers earlier. Like They were obviously still a title contender, but I think right. they might have thrown away a title by not keeping the clamps on Gail Goodrich. Um, I, don't, I don't think any team has lost out on a title directly from an expansion draft. Uh, like they lost a key player, they couldn't recover from it. Uh, but the, the the Milwaukee Bucks in the 80s, though, uh, that's a team that I think missed out on just making the NBA Finals because uh, of the expansion draft. And that goes back to the Mavericks. Because when the Mavericks joined the league, that caused a conference realignment. So the Bucks mm-hmm. moved from the West to the Eastern Conference. And, you know, as great as the Showtime Lakers were, they did have a, a weaker conference to go through. Um, so they kind of made the finals easily most of the years. They only had a couple of challenges. Uh, but the Eastern Conference was clearly the better one back in the 80s uh, with the Sixers and the Celtics and, you know, the second half of the decade with the Hawks and the, uh, the Pistons rising up. So I think the Bucks, uh, you know, by the Mavericks joining the NBA, I think they got pushed into a really tough situation where I think they could have beat the Lakers uh, one or two of those years in the 80s to reach the finals that they had stayed in the West. The one that was mentioned, and I'm not sure it really qualifies because, you know, they even won the title without him, but um, the the Pistons losing Rick Mahorn, I'm not sure that was absolutely mm-hmm. that significant of a loss. I mean, they were going to lose to the Bulls, yeah. um, you know, in 91, you know, with or without him. But that's kind of, a, a, I think, maybe a decent example of an important role player, you know, being lost due to yeah. the expansion draft. Yeah, that's a good example. Yeah, like, yeah. Like everybody loves Rick Mahorn unless you were playing against him at the moment, but <laughs> um, pulled the chair out from under you. But yeah, that's, that's, that's a pretty good example. Yeah, pretty good player. Uh, obviously not starter or anything, but yeah, I mean, in a cold series, like, like a guy like him could swing the balance. Is there um, any time that you think that like expansion really watered down the NBA? Oh, yeah. It was, it, it's clearly the. Um, late 60s, early 70s. And I like I don't want to say, I kind of don't want to say watered down because like it kind of, you know, kind of cheapens what the players did at that time, but it, but it still kind of spread the talent out too thin, uh, coupled with the ABA existing at the same time. Uh, and clearly there's this, um, I don't want to say too many teams, but it just happened too quickly where you have, we went from like, you know, 10 teams in 1965 to like 25 or no, not that much, about 25 professional teams by 1975 between the NBA and the ABA. And clearly you can't more than double the amount of professional teams in a 10 year period and have some stability for what was happening. Uh, so that's why like the Lakers won 69 games, why the Celtics in uh, 72, they won 68 games in the season. Uh, the Bucks won 66 games in 1971. So clearly they were running up those win totals on some pretty crummy teams like the, the Buffalo Braves and the, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers in the early 70s. Um, 
One uh, one aspect that we want to talk about a little bit here, we're going to do it as kind of an interlude here, is the dispersal draft, which is obviously much different. It's the exact opposite of an expansion. Um, is there any time that you think a team really benefited from the dispersal draft? Maybe outside of the Celtics, because they obviously very, very clearly uh, were helped out by the dispersal draft multiple times. But no, maybe the Celtics as well. In general, teams that benefited from the dispersal draft in your mind. Oh, yeah. Um, the Philadelphia Warriors uh, in the mid-50s, when the, the Olympians went belly up, uh, the Warriors got Joe Grabowski, who clearly, like, nobody's going to know about him. If there's some, you know, dork like me, he goes thumbing through all this stuff. Uh, but Joe was like, he was like a lunch pail type power forward. He roughed people up, gives boards and stuff like that. Uh, pretty good defender. And uh, the Warriors got him in 1953 after the Olympians folded. And two years later, they won the NBA title. He was a pretty big uh, piece on that team. So clearly they, they got the big benefit from the dispersal draft. Um, and then, of course, like the ABA, that's also just kind of a different situation, though. Uh, when they when their teams folded, clearly a lot of players got spread around the NBA, and that kind of shored up a lot of teams. Uh, Chicago Bulls got, getting Artis Gilmore. Uh, the Blazers getting uh, Maurice Lucas. And, of course, could have had Moses Malone, but they kind of, you know, stupidly let him go. <laughs> one of the greatest scenes that uh, uh breaks for the game uh they like they talked about jack ramsey who had just like uh he and the general managers had just traded moses to buffalo and then they saw him practice in the blazers game they're like holy crap this dude is like a monster in the beast we got to find a way to keep him but they're like too late he's already traded <laughs> paperwork's already been put in can't take it back like no take backs too late <laughs> <laughs> and, so those uh, a couple of them for them um, having a big impact yeah and uh, last uh, question, I think actually we're all going to weigh in. What um, cities uh, would you most like to see the NBA I- I expand to? Pretend that it doesn't like – maybe you're not really a big fan of expansion. Maybe you think it might make the league too big. But just what cities would you like to see the NBA in currently today? You know, that, would, that might be interesting to you. All right. I'll give three. I hadn't planned on this question, so I'll kind of – Here's my bets here. Uh, Vancouver. Vancouver, Seattle, and St. Louis. Those would be the three cities I'd like to see an NBA team in. Uh, Vancouver, because they got kind of done dirty uh, by Stu Jackson. He's just totally incompetent. Uh, Seattle clearly got done dirty by um, Clay Bennett. And St. Louis, I just have an affinity. St. Louis Hawks one of my favorite teams. I love Bob Pettit. So, um, Probably not the best city to go back to, but just from a personal standpoint, I would love to see a team back in St. Louis. What about, what about uh, you, I'll, I'll weigh in yeah. here. Do you want me to weigh in? Yeah, yeah I think uh, two that stand out to me, uh, Kansas City and Louisville are both ones I like. I don't know if Louisville could uh, sustain it, but, I mean, they do a pretty good job on the minor league baseball front. And Kansas City is one that, that sort of stands out, obviously, with the, the, the ready arenas and that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. But th- those are two that always kind of come to my mind. Uh, San Diego is an interesting one as well, but I wonder how well they could really support. I mean, that'd be one that'd be cool to see, but I could see that coming into a problem as well, just because I, I, I don't know if they'd support it unless it's a really good team from the get-go. But I think Kansas City would be one that would definitely walk Welcome them uh, with open arms and, and obviously has the arenas and everything sort of ready yeah. to go uh, business wise. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say Seattle, of course, would be the um, primary one. I think Louisville would be neat. You obviously have that mm-hmm. Kentucky Colonels history, and that's an area that supported basketball for <clears throat> for a long time. Um, 
historically as well. Um, also, on a personal level, because I, I live here, I'd love to see Columbus uh, have a uh, NBA team. I don't think it's going to happen, of course, because uh, even though it's a you know good a city and it has a arena and it's actually bigger than people think, just not going to happen because it's so close to Cleveland and, and because we have an NHL team, which I would gladly trade to any city for an NBA team if you're out there and can make that decision. Um, so no Vegas for either of us? No, nobody? No, no I don't think Vegas I'm not a Vegas fan either. Yeah, I, I have to fight I, baseball all the time, I, and I'm like, I don't know if it really would work there. I mean, it's the season ticket base is huge, and that's not gonna. I don't think that's really gonna work in Las Vegas. No, I'm, I'm not a fan of them either. Yeah, I, so. I uh, if, if NBA, if uh, Columbus could get a D League team, though, I, I would be very happy. So you know, actually, yeah, is there any? That's oh, what I really oh, like. I, I, I would love for the NBA to like really try to um, make sure that D League teams kind of went back to like old NBA teams, like. Um, I know Fort Wayne has one, so I love the fact that Fort Wayne has a D-League team. So like, at least St. Louis or Louisville or, like, Rochester, if they can't have, like, a well, clearly they're not going to have an NBA team. I think it would be cool to have all those old NBA cities have a D-League team. That would be neat. Yeah, Baltimore, obviously. Yeah, that would be that, – that's yeah. a neat idea. Um, and, and what I was going to ask, is there any chance that any of those – you know, D-League teams could ever become a, a, a willing enough to be a team that would be, you know, put into the NBA. I mean, is there any chance? I mean, there's a lot of weird towns and they're close to other NBA cities now and they're getting closer. Obviously, is there any chance of anybody moving up? Is I mean, there, there's no chance like a Des Moines, Iowa or, you know, the Iowa Energy are going to do it. But is there anybody that stands out? I mean, I, I to me, I have a tough time with any of them saying that they could make that that leap. Yeah, I mean, I think they yeah. usually put, I think they usually put them in cities where you're not likely sure. to be able to support an NBA team. Right. Yeah, interesting, and, but yeah, I don't think any. Yeah, and, 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 and as they try to keep the, the D League and like NBA teams like a one to one affiliate, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think it's going to make sure the talent level never gets good enough on these D League teams so they can overtake the NBA club because the NBA club would just set, take out whatever good players are on that team and put it on their roster wherever it gets to that point. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think it's like English or uh, European soccer. We have like the, the moving up and down in leagues. All right. Well, uh, Curtis, uh, thanks uh, so much for uh, chatting with us. And uh, is there anything that you want to uh, let people know that you're uh, working on or just anything that you want to plug in general? No, nah, I got nothing to plug right now. Like I'm uh... – <laughs> Yes, you know. <laughs> uh, like I, I, I'm like kind of a semi sabbatical of writing about basketball history, so I, I, I got nothing to write in right now. So, well, you, you, um, you, I'll, I'll let y'all know if some good comes up. Uh, sounds good. Well, you've done some great work in the in, in the past, so much great work, which people can check out. It would take enough people to, yeah, it would take enough time for people to get your old stuff. So they got they got time. Yeah. So, so, so go to Pro Hoops. That's why it's history. It's always there. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So go to ProHoopsHistory.com and uh, check out what uh, Curtis has written. It's some uh, fantastic stuff. Uh, thank you so much, Curtis, for uh, coming on the show again, and uh, we'll be right back to uh, begin uh, part one of our look at NBA expansion teams. All right, thanks again to Curtis Harris of ProHoopsHistory.com for his great insights on expansion. So now, Jason, you ready to get into it? We have uh, our part one, which we're calling is the team's early teams and obviously we'll start 1961-1962 with the Chicago Packers the team that went 18 and 62 um had two hall of famers though they had Walt Bellamy um and Slick Leonard who uh, went in as a coach so any thoughts what's your favorite Chicago Packers memory Jason <laughs> when you're sitting down with your father watching old 
Chicago Packers uh, tapes. You know, when, you know, they, they really packed them in. Because <laughs> the NBA was obviously, you know, on the cutting edge of technology. And... Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, this it's, this is kind of funny because of just how inept this uh, team actually was. I mean, they were really bad. They actually changed their name to the Zephyrs in the next season and then finally moved to Baltimore um, in 63. You know, they... Um, it's interesting because you know if you can't make a go of it in Chicago and if you can't make a go of it like just kind of pulling from a relatively small pool of uh, teams and you're still 18 and 62, that just probably means that there was quite a bit of ineptness there. And it's funny because the minutes leaders on the team other than Bellany and Slick Leonard were Andy Johnson, Charlie Tira, Ralph Davis, and Horace Walker, who none of those four players played in the league again after 62. <laughs> And one of the uh, other classic expansion team that that's that's what we're talking about, people. Exactly. Not, not ABA teams, no. That yeah. that's perfect. Yeah, and uh, the, another guy who's pretty famous is Gene Conley, who's actually uh, also an MLB pitcher. He, he was a longtime reserve from the uh, Celtics. I'm um, I'm reading through the uh, the Terry Pluto book, Tall Tales, you know, which is about the 50s and 60s in the NBA. And actually, just recently talked about him, and he was a uh, he was a colorful character, I guess you could say. He was a Definitely a guy who enjoyed a good party. Absolutely. And the, and the Packers, you mentioned, were just awful. I mean, the, the points per game, they were ninth in the league. Uh, opponents' points per game, fifth in the league. So there you go, something to hang their head on. Um, offensive rating, uh, 90. So they were ninth in the league. And then defensive rating, they were seventh in the league. So, yeah, an expected win percentage uh, or expected win loss, they were also last in the league. So this was just a very awful team. And it, it took them until mid-January to get their 10th win, which is going to be a trend that I, I, I sort of covered a little bit. That's that's not uncommon for expansion teams. That 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 we'll see. I mean, there was, a, there was a period where you'll see where they're okay, and then there was another period where they were awful. This one was awful. So they uh, yeah, not a lot to hang your head on for the uh, Chicago Packers, yeah. unfortunately. And then in the kind of the next few years, I mean, obviously they moved to Baltimore. They mostly stayed bad till about 69, and then they had um, Unseld and Monroe join the team and were, you know, a, a strong team mostly throughout the 70s culminating with their uh championship in 78 so you know there were, there were better times ahead but it did take a while for them to erase the packer stink so to speak <laughs> i have to i have to imagine i wonder um the hatred of chicago because nowadays i mean the, the because of the chicago green bay packers you know football rivalry that calling a team the packers i can't imagine but maybe it wasn't as ridiculous then but like now i can't even fathom like a team in chicago being the packers yeah. even if it's like relevant to any sort of like industry or whatever like you just couldn't do that and i feel like it was still sort of that way maybe that's why they didn't get supported so that's why they had to play at neutral sites like half the time so and i i'm gonna make a note of this throughout the the packers joined the western division and even stayed there with the move to baltimore um so i i, I like the i think it's interesting to look at how this the effect was on uh division and later conference alignment sure. so so moving Actually, on, I'm going to do one thing. Let me see. Are they the worst? Um, they are. Okay. Yes. I did want to sort really quick. They are the absolute worst offensive rating of any expansion. Well, team. There you go. So I, I, yeah. So I, I have these stats here. Let's see if they're defensive rating. Uh, they were second to last in defensive rating. Uh, <laughs> it's not going well. Well, no, wait, wait uh, a minute. I, I thought I isn't low good in defensive rating. So they actually were second best. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, you're correct. You're right. You're right. You're right. Sorry. I just sorted that wrong. There yes, you go. Correct. They're second best, but that that's uh, yeah, that. And again, the, the league is very, very different at this time as well. Sure, so yeah, I mean, you're talking there. about nine teams, nine, nine teams. Yeah, exactly. So. so very, very different league there. Uh, expected wins, they're not the worst either, so they're, they're pretty okay. But just just absolutely the worst in offensive rating, but we'll get to the, all the other stats as we go on. So, 
So next we have the uh, 66, 67 uh, Chicago Bulls who actually uh, finished with uh, 33 wins, which I believe is the best of any of the expansion teams. And they even yes. made the playoffs. Yeah, they had the best uh, expected win percentage as well. They uh, they were expected to win. Thir- they were expected to go thirty-one and fifty, and and went obviously as you mentioned um, thirty-three and forty-eight. So, not bad. Yeah, and go those guys. They had um, uh, their their most notable players uh, were Guy Rogers, who was a, a Warriors guard, who was who was a Hall of Famer later, and then Jerry Sloan, um, who was a very good Bulls player through the late sixties and into the seventies. Then later, of course, legendary coach of the. Um, uh, Utah Jazz, and then uh, other key players. I, they, they actually got Red Kerr in the um, expansion draft, but then he ended up being their coach. So I, f- I found that kind of amusing. <laughs> um, he had retired as a player, and then he just like, oh, well, he's still be your coach. I'll just coach. I'll just coach. Mind? Which it was common, actually. Player coaches were still you know pretty yeah. common in the league at this point. And going and funny straight enough, to it, you um, know. stayed with that organization, obviously, the rest of his life. I mean, yeah, right in a commentating role and, and all that stuff. So it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, they also had, um, uh, they, they also had Bob Boozer and uh, Erwin Mueller, who were their kind of their, their, their minutes leaders anyway, who were not were necessarily that notable of guys, but um, you know, so they, they, they were able to put together a pretty strong team. And I think it makes sense, you know, because again, it's only a 10 team league. So you're still pulling from a pretty good talent base. The ABA didn't exist yet. So it, it, it makes sense that like, Hey, they were actually pretty good. And, and, and they, you know, um, they didn't stay mediocre for long. I mean, they had, um, I think four out of five seasons in the first half of the seventies, they won 50 or more games yeah. in a row. Uh, then they struggled and for the next, you know, decade until Jordan came along. But, um, but, you know, they, they had some good teams there that, you know, have not, uh, that have sort of been forgotten about. Yeah, the, the Dick Mata uh, years, a lot of Western Conference Finals, yeah. um, a few semis as well, but just consistently playoffs and then deep runs in the playoffs right. as well. They, they and that, obviously... a, yeah, they had a really strong series against the Warriors, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, some good stuff. Those are the Chet Walker years, I believe. Yeah, right? yeah, and yeah. Bob Love and you know, mm-hmm. guys like that. So, uh, And then they had a lot of awful, awful, awful yeah, years they, with Artis Gilmore and Reggie Theus. Sure, <laughs> the, those, were, those were not so good. But um, they uh, – uh, they joined the Western Division, so the and then the Bullets moved east. So basically, we're geographically sound at this point again. Yes, which won't always happen <laughs> with these expansion teams, where sometimes they have to fit, and a team that's very east is in the west, and very west is in the east. But sometimes it works that way. So uh, as I mentioned before, the uh, the Chicago Bulls, they were um, the uh, nineteen sixty six Chicago Bulls were uh, the best expansion team uh, by defensive rating. So good for them. Yay. Go you guys. And as I mentioned, expected wins and expected losses, they were the best as well as expected win percentage. So, hooray. The best expansion team we'll ever have because the rest of them uh, gets a little dicey for a while. It, it, it does indeed. Um, so next we in the next season, in fact, there are two teams added. The San Diego Rockets, um, who are 15 and 67, and the Seattle Supersonics, who are 23 and 59. Um the only Hall of Famer who was uh, involved in either of these teams was uh, Pat Riley, who is um, in as a coach, not so much as a uh, player. Um, he was mostly kind of a journeyman, played for the Lakers for for most of his career, played for the Suns for a while as well. Um, but, uh, you know, he was a uh, good player. We also get the first appearance of uh, John McLaughlin, who is going to be, uh, and Jim Barnett as well, <laughs> who are going to be um, notable players when we're talking about these expansion drafts. It's funny how these these um, repeat players uh, get there. There's a lot of guys, yeah, not, as not I was sort of doing my research. Also, like, yeah. 
Don Kochis, who was a one of the uh, minutes leader, in fact, the minutes leader for that year's Rockets. They he also was um, in that Bulls expansion draft. So, mm-hmm. um, so the uh, and Toby Kimball was their other. You know, the, and these are guys I've know nothing about, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't tell you much about Tony Kimball's career. Yeah, so I don't. I, I'm, I'm you know, well, maybe, you know, eventually, you much, eventually but... we'll learn. But but right now, you know, not not so much. <laughs> so. Um, and for the uh, Sonic, Sonics, they had um, uh, Tom Meshery, who uh, was a, a good Warriors player for uh, quite a long time, but was, you know, at the uh, end of his career. Uh, Rod Thorne, who was uh, in that great tradition of West Virginia guards after Hot, Hot Rod Huntley and um, Jerry West, and of course is now a, I guess he's an NBA official, but he was a GM yes. for the Nets for a long time. And... Um, Walt Hazard, who's also later known as Mahdi Abdul-Raham, who was an all-star that year. Um, and then Bob Weiss, who was a future coach uh, for the Hawks and I believe the Sonics as well. Um, so maybe just the Hawks. I forget offhand now. But um, so those are kind of the notable players um, who played for each of those teams. And um, the it didn't really go well for the Rockets for a while. They ended up moving <laughs> to Houston in 72 um, and then had some – some a few strong years in the late seventies and early eighties, but were mostly up and down. Um, the Sonics also were mostly bad and middling team until the late night, late seventies, until they suddenly became an NBA title contender and, of course, won the title in seventy uh, nine. So, um, but both of teams joined the West and the, allowed the Pistons to move back east. The Pistons are going to be the uh, the, the victims, uh, so to speak, of a lot of these uh, adding mm-hmm. teams. They're going to have to move around a lot because of that. But that makes sense. That, that's one of a good territory. Yeah, I mean, they're like, in the middle. Yeah, thing. I mean, it, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's going to – but it's interesting, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, stat-wise, there's nothing too interesting with these guys. San Diego Rockets are our second-worst offensive rating team. Um, the uh, Supersonics, they're kind of in between. They're, they're really not significant whatsoever. Uh, and the defensive rating, neither of them are, are, are super significant either. And, and they don't really – didn't really factor in expected win percentage. They're not that awful. They're sort of the middle of the road teams. It's pretty interesting when you see their win loss records and realize that oh, those are the middle of the road teams. Like the Seattle Rockets are, are, are 15 and 67 and, and the Supersonics are 23 and 59, but we'll get to a lot worse teams later. But yeah, no, as far as like expected win percentage or whatever, the, the Rockets actually were expected to win 22 games and the Supersonics 26, which is, is not bad by these standards. It's actually in the top half, which is... <laughs> It says something for what we'll see in the 70s and 80s with, with these expansion yeah, teams. Yeah, so. absolutely. So, um, so the next season after that, um, two, we get two more teams, the Milwaukee Bucks and the uh, Phoenix Suns. Uh, Milwaukee wins 27 games. Phoenix only wins 16 games. Uh, for the Bucks, uh, there's Hall of Famers Wayne Embry and Guy Rogers. And again, Guy Rogers being a part of the uh, an expansion team. Uh, Embry, Embry also is, uh, I, I believe he was the first African-American general manager in the NBA I believe, yeah, um, I believe so. And then for the Suns, Gail Goodrich um, is kind of their um, big star. He's a Hall of Famer. Uh, Dick Van Arsdale also was a, a, an important player for them, um, a part of the, the Van Arsdale twins. Uh, the Suns also were coached by Red Kerr. So, um, <laughs> so I, uh, he liked, gets around. liked coaching uh, expansion teams in the uh, the Bucks. <laughs> did he like it or did, was he forced to? Well, he wasn't a very good coach, yeah, unfortunately. Uh, I think that I guess not. I think that played into more of why he, he was a better commentator than a coach. Yeah. I'll say that. So uh, the Bucks had John McLaughlin, who actually was a good player for the Bucks for most of the you know for for when they were kind of good in the early to mid seventies. 
Um, he caught on there pretty well. Uh, Fred Hetzel, who was the number one pick uh, the year that Rick Barry was drafted. And then Bob Love, who, of course, became a, a you know, pretty big star for the uh, Bulls in the early 70s, um, although he played very, very few minutes. So um, and uh, both these teams bounced, you know, bounced back pretty well. I mean, actually, yeah. the next season, um, the Bucks are awesome because they got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. In fact, I, I, if I remember <laughs> correctly, the, there was a coin toss between the Bucks and the Suns and the Bucks won that, coin toss, yep. you know, so they had five straight seasons of 56 or more wins won the title in 71 went to the 74 finals uh the suns um you know they had a a couple of really strong seasons in 71 and 72 and then they made a finals run in 76 with only a 42 and 40 record Uh, they upset the uh, golden state uh, warriors who were really strong 59 win team i believe that year so we talked about them a little bit in the 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 barrier no that was no that was not the yeah no it was was, yeah that was that was the the year after they won the title so yeah uh and then the bucks uh they they started off in the East and the Suns uh, were in, in the West. And, and of course the Suns have always been in the West. It would be difficult to put the Phoenix Suns in the East. <laughs> that would suck for the road trail. That, yeah. That would suck that, for the Knicks. That would, to, that would definitely suck. To have a, a, a home and away. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we got to be in Boston tomorrow. Well, tomorrow, <laughs> today we're in Phoenix. That would, that would not no, be good. No, that idea. would not be awesome. No, that would not. Uh, yeah. As far as stats wise, uh, nothing really stands out about these two. Obviously the Bucks, um, they're our fourth best expected win percentage team, uh, which, which is reflected in the numbers too. They're, they're one of the better sort of expansion teams that we have. The Suns are in the bottom half, but we're actually, as we mentioned, not a horrible team. They weren't like uh, 21.3% uh, expected win percentage, which is not good, but as I said, we'll, we'll get to much, much worse uh, in the future. And then an offensive rating, defensive rating, nothing too uh, spectacular with either of those teams. So they weren't very interesting in either bad or good. They were just kind of there. So, yeah. Um, so we get a year off from expansion and then we go to the 71 season. We had three teams. We had the Buffalo Braves who won 22 games, Cleveland Cavaliers who win 15 games. And then the Portland Trailblazers who win 29 games who are, I believe the second best expansion team, at least in terms of record. Uh, no Hall of Famers in this mix. Um, the Blazers have Jeff Petrie, who was well known for being an executive. He also was a I, I, I'm pretty sure he was a he was on the 77 title team. Uh, Leroy Ellis and Jim Barnett, who's this is the second of, of three uh, times he's going to be picked in the expansion <laughs> draft. And then, of course, future Blazers and Hall of Fame coach Rick Adelman. Um, the it looks like Petrie just missed the. Uh... He was traded in 1976. Tra- okay, I, I remember for uh, Maurice Lucas. Oh, there, you, there go. you go. Okay, I remember him being in the book. I, I couldn't remember if he was actually on the team or not. But yeah, no. Okay. Um, and uh, and then the Braves um had Bob Kaufman and Don May, neither of whom I honestly know very much about. So, which has a lot, which has kind of a little bit about the Braves, and then um. And the Cavs had uh, John Johnson, who's actually a two-time All-Star for them, and uh, and, and Bingo Smith, who was kind of one of their early stars. A, a, the Cavs very, horrible, you know, I'm using the term st- star mildly. But... Yeah, they were horrendous. January seventh, uh, they were five and forty-four. Oh yeah, which is is no good. And they they rolled off a few wins there. They had a nice little streak, and then they ended the season obviously uh, at fifteen and sixty-seven. They're actually our second worst. I believe they tied for the lowest. Uh, let me run it right here. Yep, they tied for the. Oh no no no. They oh, mm, 
we'll get to them in a little bit. No, they are the third worst expected win percentage at 16.2%. And uh, just an awful team all around. Just uh, couldn't play defense very well. Couldn't play much of anything. Just, just a really bad team. They weren't our worst offensive rating or worst defensive rating, but they uh, are not a good team at all. They they stand out in this class as being just real. And as you mentioned, we mentioned their stars, and that's... Yeah. yeah, they had Bill Fitch. I don't as know their, who those two guys they are. They had Bill Fitch as their coach. Yeah, well, I, I yes, heard of. So. I, I I know a little bit about um uh, about Bingo just from knowing a little bit about Cavs history being mm-hmm. from Ohio. But yes, it, it is definitely mild. So. Uh, the Braves, they had some decent mid seventies teams, uh, that made, you know, I think made the second round of the playoffs, but nothing particularly special. And they ended up moving to San Diego in 79, becoming the Clippers, uh, the Cavs actually, they did have a run in the conference finals in 76 lost to the Celtics in a pretty good series. And then they, they were solid in 77 and in 78. And then they really fell apart. And then they had the horrible, um, you know, Ted Sepian years, uh, until 88, uh, where they kind of finally, got decent again and were pretty good in the early nineties. And then the uh, Blazers were really not a good team at all until the 77 season, which they won the title. Um, you know, even with Walton for a couple of years, it, it took them a while to get good. I, I know the addition of Maurice Lucas, which we'll talk about a little bit when we do the ABA, um, uh, dispersal draft, um, spoiler alert, um, will, uh, you know, will, is, is a part of that for sure. And, um, and then, of course, then they really, even though they lost Walton and, and were beset by injuries and other turmoil, uh, other than a couple years of a drop off, they were actually really, you know, pretty consistently yeah. very good team. And then, you know, and then great again in the early nineties. Uh, looking at the Cavaliers franchise history, that's a not a very good franchise. No. <laughs> it's just, it's. I had assumed that they had been to more playoffs and stuff. They, it's not good. There. Yeah, they, <laughs> yeah they they've been to eighteen postseason appearances, which is the same number as the Miami Heat, and and they've been in league. They've been in league eighteen years longer. So. That's yeah. Okay, I'm not, sorry. Not so great. So, so it's all good now, though, right? Yeah. Come on. I, I mean, yeah. I, I'll, smiles. I'll, it's all smiles around. I would now. take Come the on. Cavs position right now over the Heat's for sure. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's all smiles. Uh, so this is the year that conferences were formed. So uh, the Braves uh, and Cavs debut in the East, and then the Blazers and and Bucks are sent to, and the Pistons are sent to the West. And then, even though it's not an expansion year, um, the 73 season, right before the Jazz come along, uh, the Cincinnati Royals move to Kansas City and Omaha to become the Kings. So they go out west, and then Houston is goes to the east. The Bucks, yeah, it's always kind of interesting to remember that the Bucks were uh, a, a long, for a long time a Western Conference yeah, team. Yeah, well. I mean they they started it's in, it's just they started in the East, and then um, I think their title year was actually. Uh, their title year was actually East. Um, was it okay? I wasn't sure if it or was. I, I I could be wrong. I don't know. I could. I, they, I could they look started it in the East, um, and um, let's see. They won the finals in um, let's see, Midwest Division. Uh, well, they were in the right East. Now. Yes, they were in the East, and then they went. Then the next and then they, they went, went to the West the next year. And that's kind of an interesting thing, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> Nice win. Like, <laughs> would they have been a better team if they if they would they would they have had a chance at winning more titles if they'd stayed in the mm-hmm. East? You know, I mean, I, I think it's an open question. I know we're and then you can it, it gets uh, sort of on the flip side as well. Then you get to the '80s and you wonder, 
had they been in the West instead of the East, what would have sort of happened? Because obviously they had that huge run in the 80s, but kind of tended to be stifled by by the Boston team. It would have been sort of interesting to see at some point, not saying that they would have beat the Lakers or any of those teams, but to see if they, what they would have done in the Western Conference. Yeah, I mean, that, that was... At that same time, I mean, they just some, had not get by the Celtics. Like, yeah, there were some really strong teams there, too. So it's uh, it's hard to say, but yeah, that is that is an interesting question. And I, I, I think in a future episode, we're going to be talking a, a, a good bit about the Milwaukee Bucks in the 70s. So we'll have to explore that at a future time. Absolutely, that's our uh, our big. Uh, <laughs> what's I'm trying to think of what's his name. I'm blanking on. Uh... You mean Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? No, not Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> okay. No, I'm starting to think of like a. Oh, who was that's his name? There's a. Oh, what is his name? I'm blanking on it. There's like a. Uh, am I thinking of John McLaughlin? Yeah, I think I'm thinking of John oh, McLaughlin. Oh yes, there you go. Yes. I'm just trying to think of like a guy that I mean, not like an awful one, but one that we could sort of like make a, a some like ridiculous. The John McLaughlin podcast. Absolutely. Like somebody would request absolutely. that. You know what I mean? Like I'm not saying like an absolutely garbage guy. Like somebody would be like, ah, oh, I really like like John McLaughlin. Yeah. <laughs> I want you guys to talk about him a little bit because like Kareem, everybody knows about Kareem, but he was like, yeah, he's the one I'm thinking of. There's like that sort of in between dude that's not not quite awful, but not you know. Not really he's pretty just, of a podcast. He's sort of there. Yeah. Because <laughs> Bob Dandridge is pretty solid. He's absolutely, so. yes. He, he deserves a podcast. Right, so. right. And um, so uh, we have, a, we have a, a four-year break in expansion, and then the uh, we get the New Orleans Jazz, who, of course, one of the fantastic names in uh, in, in sports history. Oh, yeah. Um, even though I do love the, the juxtaposition of, or whatever you would call it, of the Utah Jazz. I just love the, <laughs> sure. I, I love the contrast there. I, I, I think that's a wonderful thing, too. But obviously, New Orleans Jazz is just such a wonderful, you know, name. And uh, however, as a basketball team, not so great. No, not very good at all. Um, I, I ran a few numbers here. They, uh, interestingly enough, they finished with 23 wins, but uh, at the end of the calendar year, they were three and 30. Yeah, which is no good. And if you look at their wins too, they had one. Uh, here's their three wins: they beat Portland by one, they beat Atlanta by four, and then they beat the Golden State Warriors by three. <laughs> so just eked out those three wins. Uh, and then interestingly enough, they had a six game win streak in February and actually turned out to be an okay team for, you know, to get to 23 wins after that horrible of a start is pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, that, that'd be interesting to wonder like exactly what that happened if there was, you know, I mean, they had 22 players who played games on their roster that year, including Walt Bellamy playing one game for them. Um, yeah. Initially I thought, Oh, was Maravich hurt or whatever, but he played in 79 games. So it wasn't him at all. Yeah. I mean, he was obviously there the whole time. So yeah, it was very hard. They must've just found some, dude off the street one of these random guys that uh, tony uh, toby kimball again maybe it was him there you go yeah the three games the 90 minutes of tony <laughs> kimball were, that was the key to those so <laughs> absolutely and they also had uh, jim barnett who makes his like eighth appearance I don't know. yeah they had mel counts who was a, a backup for the celtics and played for the lakers teams that battled the celtics at the end of the finals I, he's the guy who went in f- instead of um um uh, Will Chamberlain in the, the infamous in 69 finals mm-hmm. when, you know, I actually made a couple shots, I believe, there. Um, and then uh, E.C. Coleman, who I, I'm not so familiar with, but played, was the, had the second most minutes of anybody um, on the uh, on that team. So it was, uh, yeah, I mean, Maravich was actually traded to the team and um, from the Hawks to the Jazz. And in that trade, um, I'm looking at uh, Curtis Curtis's uh write-up of Maravich uh, on ProHoopsHistory.com, and he talks about the, the Jazz traded two players, two first-round picks, one of that, one of which was used to take David Thompson, who ended up not playing for the Hawks, and then two second-round picks, one that was used to take Alex English, and a third-round pick all for Maravich, which pretty much, you know, um, 
gutted the team and then the Jazz, um, the next season after the 76 season, they signed Gail Goodrich and that ended up, they ended up losing the pick that became Match Johnson because of that for, for mm-hmm. the compensation. Uh, All right, and we talked role. about that in our uh, previous podcast exactly. as well, yeah. So, yeah, not not good luck for them. They ended up, um, uh, they ended up moving um, in five seasons they, they had three coaches in their first season including uh one game stint from elgin baylor uh they <laughs> I would moved, love to. moved to utah on the adc did we find any did you find any quotes on like what did he say he was just like screw this like, well, I'm he done. Was, baylor was their gm i think so oh okay yeah. so they didn't in the interim he just said okay i'll, uh, I'll i guess it. i'll do it for one <laughs> game right exactly um uh, he comes back though yeah and he they they didn't make the playoffs until 84 um so it, it, it was not great. So um, the Jazz went to the East. Um, then with the 77 ABA merger, the Nets and Spurs went East and the Nuggets and Pacers went to the West. Now, that doesn't exa- really make much sense, but it did at least make a little more sense in the divisional context because mm-hmm. they, they were fairly close to each other within divisions. It was it was still kind of messed up, but it wasn't quite as stupid as it sounds on paper. Right. Yeah, it, it's it worked out. Yes, and it's all going to be settled here in in just so. <laughs> very shortly. If, yeah, so. if, you're, if you're stressed out about it, like yeah, you don't no, know what's like, going on, if you're confused, what's going on? Who's, who's going where? To, like, yeah. So um, what what will become of the Pistons? What <laughs> what conference will they play? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the Bulls are still out west too. It's very confusing. yeah. That's right. Yeah, the yeah. Bulls. Yeah. So um, and uh, eighty and eighty one season of uh, the uh, the Dallas Mavericks become the twenty third team to join the NBA, and um, they are <laughs> definitely not a good team. Uh, mm. They have Tom Lagarde. They have Brad Davis. Actually, Brad Davis became a pretty good player for them in the eighties. Um, with part of their good postseason teams. Uh, and then also they had seventy seven minutes of Austin Carr. So yeah, which. Is always a good, yeah. always a welcome addition. The, so. Yeah, it was toward the end of his career. Yeah, Scott Lloyd, uh, Bill Robazine, uh, Jeff Houston, not exactly a murderer. Uh, <laughs> they, they ended up uh, 15 and 67, and I know it, um, it, it was not good. No, they, uh, they didn't win their 10th game until March 1st, which is just unbelievable to think of. And, and, and interestingly enough, and I ran a few numbers, we'll, we'll probably do that at the end of the, uh, uh, the podcast here. They were 18th out of 23 in attendance. So obviously the Dallas community was more than ready to support their Mavericks, but apparently that I, I could, I couldn't blame them. I, I bet they probably did well for a little while. And then a lot of people were just like, mm, I'll, <laughs> I'll wait till they're okay. I mean, that team was really bad. So I, I, I don't blame people. And there wasn't a whole lot of exciting uh, players on a team either, but it all worked out for the Mavericks. Maybe they were busy trying to figure out who shot Jr. That's true. Oh, no, this wasn't the hype of, yeah, they, they were busy, man. They yeah, Dallas had a lot going on during this time. They were, yeah, yeah. they were digging oil. Cowboys, and... <laughs> Cowboys were, America, were America's team, too. Yeah, they didn't have time for the Mavericks, no. which is it's interesting. That they, it, it, it's fun, and I, I sort of did a little bit of research, and, and there are a few expansion teams that don't do that well in attendance, which is, was just kind of interesting. But, yeah, no, they, they particularly did not do well at all, so it's okay. Uh, they had Ali Mack, though, who who I think Ali Mack shows up on a few as well. Um I think let me find the ones that he was on. He um maybe was this his only one? Maybe this was his only one. I'm thinking of someone else. Never mind. This is a Dick Mata coach team as well. So Oh, okay. Yeah. He's a guy like him and Red Kerr, like Yeah, they're just a coaching expansion teams uh, left and right, you know. Um the uh the Mavericks did eventually and, and not that 
far along in in a few years they actually did get pretty good and they made a run in 88 where they um took the lakers to seven games in the western conference finals uh so they you know it didn't take them long to get uh to be a good team um yeah you get the rolando balkman uh comes in or blackman sorry uh that comes in at, yeah. <laughs> at the other one that'd be awesome. <laughs> they got uh <laughs> you know mark mcguire sam perkins yeah. you know those, those guys teams. yeah one of my exactly. i love that team i love uh old videos of that team especially as you mentioned that 88 team it's just just awesome to watch and i know they came in an nba 2k game not that long ago and i was just like oh shit i, I forgot that they had you know sam perkins like a young you know upstart sam perkins I and mean, we really just a fun team athletic super athletic team they remind me a lot of the bucks yeah in that same sort of time they, they had very similar sort of roster structure and, and and just interesting guys i mean really super athletic guys a lot of tall guards that sort of stuff just i, I love those teams a lot i wish they wish they had went farther but you know it's hard when the lakers are there and exactly um can't do much, so. so we finally orders restored and we get the um, the Bucks, the Pacers, the Bulls, and Pistons to the east, uh, and the uh, Spurs, Jazz, Mavericks, and Clippers to the west. So, which is good. That makes a lot more sense. The Bulls, Pistons, and Bucks would be in the yeah, east. So, it, you know, it, it it does. Um, at least for me, because that's, that's how, how I now. So yeah, exactly. yeah. So, um, so I think we're gonna take a little break, and we're going to talk about I the opposite topic, perhaps instead of expansion drafts, we're gonna talk about teams going away and uh, dispersal drafts and how that all worked uh, in NBA and ABA history. So we're gonna we'll be back in a few moments with that. are talking about uh, dispersal drafts in the NBA. I know it, it sounds like an exciting topic, but, but I promise you that it, <laughs> it is actually pretty fascinating. Um, For us, we, we find it fascinating. Yeah, I mean, you, you know. If you're already listening to this, you're probably already kind of like a basketball nerd, so you should like this, I, right? I would, I, mean, come I on. would guess, you know. Um, so this, um, the NBA, uh, or well, actually the BAA-NBL merger um, happened in 4950, and there were actually 17 teams in the NBA at that time. Um, and over the next few seasons, it whittles down to in 51, they're down to 11 teams um, in uh, 52. They're down to 10 teams. And then eventually by the 55 season, they are down to the uh, eight teams that we, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the original eight teams, I guess you could call them in, in a sense. So, um, so they had to obviously spread the wealth um, during that time. So they had dispersal drafts in 47 and 49 and a couple uh, in, in 1950 and in 51 and 53 and 54. They, they, they had a, a lot of them. So obviously we're not going to go through all of it, but it just – I think there's – Every pick. Yeah. No, we're breaking out every exactly. pick. <laughs> we're going to break it down. Um, one thing I just noticed is actually Press Maravich, the father of Pete Maravich, was a part of the uh, Pittsburgh uh, being disbanded. Um, I, I didn't even know he had played in the NBA. So uh, I think that's pretty interesting. Um, in the uh, one of the 1950 dispersal draft, Ed McCauley ends up um, uh, going from St. Louis to the with St. Louis Bombers to um, to the Celtics, be, becoming mm -hmm. one of like the uh, important early Celtics. In fact, he, and he was a all-star and later Hall of Famer who was traded for Bill Russell. Um uh, and so he was, uh, you know, a, an important player for them. They also were able to get Bob Cousy and a later uh, dispersal draft in 1950 after Chicago disbanded. Um, and uh, so the Celtics were able to really um, 
you know, build up their roster through these expansion drafts. They do well in these, which uh, <laughs> yeah, a, a part of the uh, the old Celtics lore of, of team building is they had a lot more players in these drafts than most other teams. Sure. So. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It, it, I'm not saying they're cheating. Little, I actually it's a don't know how they're really... confusing on how exactly it did work. You know, as far as the numbers go, there's a really good. I, I, I'm taking a lot of this from a. Um, from a, a post at uh, APBR.org, the message board, um, advanced statistics message board, where they, there's a really great breakdown of the dispersal drafts. I, re- I recommend everyone link, uh, look at it. I'm sure we'll link to it in the, uh, yeah, I'll link it in, in in the, the show, show notes. Here. So, yeah. um, but in Bill Sharman went for, to, from Washington to Fort Wayne um, in 51. Um, and, uh, and Frank Selvey uh, went to the, uh, uh, the Lakers, I believe. Um, and um, so, you know, there, there are definitely some, you know, big names of the early NBA that were part of um, those dispersal drafts. Absolutely. Yeah. And it gets uh, it's even more interesting than when you get the ABA dispersal. Drafts. Yeah. That's where you the, really just see a flood of talent just going you numerous places as well. And this it sort of evens out a little bit. Those early dispersal drafts, as we mentioned, it seems to be pretty heavy on Boston and a few teams that that I, I'm assuming they just paid more to get I, I actually have no idea but where uh the aba dispersal drafts seem to be a little bit more of let's kind of let's fill out a lot of these teams which they did quite well i think yeah um you know um uh, they because the aba went from you know went from quite a big i think it was a 12 team league at one point and then ended up at the end being down to uh six franchises so they had a you know they were definitely failing toward the end uh there they had one in 72 where they lost the floridians and pittsburgh um then 75 the baltimore franchise folded um and san diego later folded um and then um and then finally, there was the the '76 uh, ABA dispersal draft that happened with the ABA merger, and that was um, so. Of course, the four ABA teams, um, uh, San Antonio, uh, the Nets, and uh, Denver and Indiana, uh, were joined the joined the NBA, but they're the NBA had no interest in Kentucky and uh, St. Louis. So they, uh, so the, the players on those teams ended up um, being dispersed through the NBA. And you got some real big stars here. I mean, Artis Gilmore yeah. ends up in Chicago, Marvin Barnes ends up in Detroit. Um, uh, Maurice Lucas ends up in Portland ends up getting Maurice Lucas and Moses Malone. Uh, and this is before Moses Malone anyone understands what kind of player he's really going to be in, in Portland and what, you know, seems ridiculous, uh, doesn't, um, you know, keep him very long, but, um, and then San Antonio gets Louis Dampier, who was a three point specialist. Uh, so a lot of, you know, really important talent, um, you know, was, uh, was part of this draft. So, um, uh, so it's, it's definitely a, uh, you know, it's definitely a big deal. Then there's some interesting coverage from, um, sports illustrated of sort of the, you know, the last days of the AB and how it's kind of all breaking apart and how, um, <laughs> how the NBA owners are kind of treating the ABA and how, you know, they're making them kind of pay through the truth. Uh, and, uh, then setting up, of course, uh, you know, they don't know how big of a deal this is going to be, but, um, what ended up really biting the NBA was the, um, the, the, the deal they set up with the spirits where they were able to get a, a piece of the, um, NBA television revenue, which, um, 
in perpetuity too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they, they've earned three, apparently 300 million of, of that uh, <laughs> in 38 years. And finally they, that was settled, um, the, for 500 million. So, um, they're going to actually, I guess, get a little bit of television revenue still, but they're, but most of it, yeah, that deal is going to be, you know, um, <laughs> Going to finally be, if not finished, at least you know, pretty much done. Before that new TV deal signed, that's, yes. that's an amazing, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's obviously you're not giving the Spirit of St. Louis owners, you know, a chunk of our right. gigantic TV but, deal. But that's that we're obviously about to sign, an so. amazing deal for yeah. you know, uh, you know, being bought out. Uh, it's one of the most fascinating. Yeah, if you if you haven't read anything about that or, or something, I mean, a lot there a lot has been written about it, but it's just one of the most fascinating like sports business deals ever. Like it, it, it's something that gets studied in sports business classes and stuff too because of that reason. It's just it's so. Oh, it's just a very interesting, and it's like a it's a calculated risk by those guys that ended up paying off. But it's just so funny to see the NBA have so little confidence in their future, which I mean, understandably. I mean, you look at the league and where it was and what basketball was at that time. Like, I get where they would be like, all right, whatever, dude. Like, yeah, okay. Like, you, you know what I mean? I, I totally get them being like, yeah, all right, we'll give you like a thousand dollars every yeah, year. That's fine. Sure, whatever. Fine. And then like, what's oh, this gonna be God. worth? Yeah. <laughs> Right, like this stupid league. Nobody wants to pay for this to be on TV. So just, just different. I mean, it, it just tells you a lot about how sports on TV at the time, the league, all that sort of stuff built in. Um, real quick before we move on, I found an interesting name in the um, the '72 dispersal draft. There's Tracy Chapuka, who we'll find out. Uh, Kelly Chapuka will be later uh, on the Charlotte Hornets. He is not related. Though, oh, believe it or not. interesting. I was shocked. Two Chapukas, I, yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, would have been a weird age up. I was like, well, difference. So they, be, yeah, right. I would have figured brothers, but yeah, that's. Um, no, not not even really. I can't find that they're related. I'll, I'll continue looking, but as far as I can tell, yeah. Um, oh, you know what? No, that might have been a son. Never mind. Okay, that was a brother, I believe. Was it a sibling or was it a? Yeah, I believe it was a sibling. Yeah, here we go. I just found the uh, the obituary for Frank Chapuka, who was a star at Notre Dame. It says he has sons. Yeah, Kelly was played at Notre Dame too. Um, yeah. That, yeah. Let's see. That's uh, interesting. Uh, I looked up because I I was looking up a lot of brothers for um for something um. And I didn't remember the Trapukas. Um, yeah, it says uh, he has survived. And this could be, I mean, maybe there's another Tracy Trapuka that says he has, uh, he has survived by his wife and sons, Kelly and Mark, as well as his sons. Uh, um, oh, Chris, Tracy, Todd, and Timothy. Okay. okay, so I think Tracy might have been from another marriage, I believe. So, ah, okay. Well, there you go. Yes, because he has survived by his wife and sons and his sons. Ah, there you go. So there's, there's four and his sons, and then there's two. Wife Tracy Trapuca so. is not in basketball reference, so maybe never played. Maybe yeah, that, but... because a lot of these guys who are actually involved in that, um, who are involved in these expansion dispersal drafts, several of them don't have a you know basketball reference um, right. link. So you know it, it was kind of it, it's it, well, I, I guess the dispersal ones that almost all of them would have at least played some in the league, but. We'll cover it more during our Chapuka podcast. Sure. So yeah, that, I mean, that's... yeah, obviously. <laughs> That'll be an important... The Chapuka family the podcast. Chapuka files, we'll... yeah. Uh, we'll... yeah. Which I'd like to do, by the way. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll mark it down on the like... Not anytime soon, but, you know, I'd like to at some right, point. So when we're really digging, like in seven road, years yeah. when we have nobody else, <laughs> right, like, yeah. we'll do that one. But, yeah, no no rush. I just all want right. to... Once we've recorded all of NBA's history, we will do the Kelly Chapuka podcast. All right. That sounds good. All right. Well, we're going to uh, take a little break and then we will be back with uh, part two of the expansion teams. All right. We're back. 
back with our final part talking expansion teams and these ones uh, we're going to start at 1988 which you'll be familiar with a lot of these teams a lot of our listeners i think this is going to be especially for you and i is going to be very vivid for us because we remember these teams you know i obviously don't remember these ones quite as much i'm a little bit younger but we're going to get to future ones that i definitely remember but obviously i remember these franchises know a lot about the beatings and that's the charlotte hornets and the miami heat who both came in um the charlotte hornets they were 20 and 62 their first year miami was 50 and or 15 rather and 67 to 50 that would be impressive but uh yeah these are two teams that obviously have vivid memories of um what are your thoughts hornets heat and uh key players as well yeah well the 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 hornets um you know there was an interesting profile on their first season um within the last year or so i think it was like a charlotte magazine that really kind of went in depth uh like an oral history of um of them and it was interesting to see how kind of how that team was put together and the um and also just how the city embraced them and because there's because they actually were kind of you know went with kind of guys who were sort of stars i mean kurt rambis obviously um he was older but he was very well known for being you know the the the, the grinder for the uh, lakers keller Tribuca yeah. had been you know a fairly big star for the pistons but was kind of traded before they had their championship teams um you know rex chapman and mugsy bogues were future stars of course bogues had um you know with the the small and and because of being five foot uh, four or um, whatever was um, you know be, eventually became a cult favorite in the NBA um, and uh, I, I believe had some ties to the area so they they kind of went the route almost that you like I would think you shouldn't go which is like taking players that kind of have name value that are good for the box office and taking like um, guys who are sort of like regional but it ended up working yeah. So they, they it's, uh, yeah, it was, it was very interesting. And it is, this has been adopted by a few because there, there's sort of been other teams that have had this um, uh, expansion teams. I mean, obviously, if you go to baseball. People are familiar with the Arizona Diamondbacks. They're obviously a team that that in their second year, you know, went went right forward and really tried to be a, 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 a title contender right off the bat and got a lot of older guys initially. Whereas, you know, the Rays who came in you know similar time went the complete opposite route and just went young. So it's interesting to see that sort of different dichotomy of of some teams really are kind of immediately out of the gates and other teams are sort of slow build, slow build, slow build. But the Hornets, yeah, as you mentioned, it, it, it seemed risky on paper, but it worked. And they, they were a huge box office draw uh, right off the bat. And the team uh, the, and the city really embraced them more than really any other expansion team. Yeah. And they got pretty good by the, you know, by the mid nineties. I mean, they really were, they, they had some, you know, borderline playoff to very good teams in the mid nineties until 2002 when they moved to New Orleans and they were, you know, they did well with their young players. I mean, Chapman, Bogues and, and Curry all were pretty young and ended up being you know successful um players for the franchise so they did well there in you know in, in drafting or just selecting the uh young players who they ended up getting miami um so i mean they uh, they had rory sparrow grant long and Ron, ronnie cycli who became you know kind of a star for them um i you know i know was kind of their name player for a while but they definitely were not as first year were definitely not as successful although they got good pretty quick i mean they were uh, about in a similar time frame. And in, in fact, they were a better team. Uh, you know, they were a pretty elite team in the late nineties. Um, you know, had, I think a 60 plus win season and were, you know, um, you know, made some deep playoff runs. So they, they probably, probably in the decade, they had uh, a little bit more success, but at least the first year it was definitely um, the Hornets, I would say who had the advantage, even though it was a five game difference. I think the Hornets, um, 
Yeah, I think those uniforms also. I mean, they they kind of capture. Yeah, I was I was gonna actually say yeah. that that it, it's pretty interesting. The Hornets we sort of romanticize them because of the, the the uniforms and and then the players obviously with Bogues and Johnson and Morning and they, they and they just seem like they would have been a way better team than they were and you know starter jackets and teal and all that sort of stuff. And you look at their history and they're really I think in a lot of ways overrated by I think we we sort of assume that they were a better team than they really were and they never really ever put it together. Like, as you mentioned, the Heat really quickly. I mean, they went to an Eastern Conference Finals by 96. Really, I think, was a better team in a shorter amount of time. Or not, maybe not in a short amount of time, but prolonged in that little period of the 90s. Ended up being a better team than the Hornets, but we don't think of them that way. We, we, we think of the Hornets as a successful franchise in the 90s, but I don't think we do that with the Miami Heat when it's really, I mean, record-wise, it, the Heat definitely have the claim to do yeah, that. I so. mean, it's fairly close, but I, you're right. I, I think overall, the Heat do definitely have that advantage. And it, it's funny because, of course, the Heat are now such a... <clears throat> Like are are kind of a star team, even without LeBron to a certain extent. I mean, sure. they're they're definitely that you know that cool team, you know, and and the Hornets are, you know, maybe they'll get a little bit of that this year with the you know remaking the the, the jerseys and some you, you know, especially if they end up being um, better than people expect. But um, you know, it, it's just interesting how that's changed over the years. And and having Pat Riley in there helped as well. I'm sure. Oh yeah. For, for, you know, I mean, he definitely made. I mean, he he made them into not only a good team, but also gave them the star power. And, and obviously you had a confluence of, of guys going there as well. You know, the Tim Hardaway's and eventually mornings and that sort of stuff. So it, it made sense how they, they, they did that, but it, it's very interesting how we sort of, how we perceive the Hornets. Yeah. And I think they're just such a nineties team that we sort of always kind of give them a lot of credit and, and it's not completely undue, but it's, it, it's interesting. Nonetheless. Yeah, and they were running to the ground by bad management too. I mean, that's, you know, Oh yeah. Yeah. Historically bad. I mean, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like, so like much is written about that as well, which is interesting. Uh, real quick here, uh, Miami, they were three and 24 at the end of the calendar year. So they were a uh, not very good team no. at all. And they actually turn out to be our second uh, tied actually for the worst uh, expected win percentage of any team. They were f- expected to win 15 games and lose 67. Yeah, so their actual record too. Not good. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> right as expected. So yeah, defensive rating, offensive rating, they don't really stand out in either, but yeah, it's pretty, um, pretty historically bad team. So the next season, we had two more teams. We have the Timberwolves with 22 wins, the Magic with 18 wins. Uh, kind of the key players for the Wolves, uh, Tony Campbell, Tyrone Corbin, Pooh Richardson, and Sam Mitchell. Of course, Corbin and Mitchell were later uh, coaches. Uh, key player for, for the Magic were uh, Terry Catledge, uh, Reggie Cafias, um, near the end of his career, uh, and then uh, young Nick Anderson, also Sam Vincent, Otis Smith, and Scott Skiles all played small roles. Skiles ended up being a uh, you know a pretty decent sized star for them, important player for them when yep. they made the playoff runs. Otis Smith, of course, was later their GM. Um, mixed record, I guess, for Otis as their general manager. <laughs> but um, I mean, he did sort of build the uh, the Dwight Howard team, so we could give him that at least. So. Um, so yeah, I, these teams um, were uh, again not so noteworthy, but um, you know, I I don't know. What do you What do you think? Yeah, um, they're they're sort of there. I mean, the Magic in particular were, were an interesting team, but there was also an interesting era in the NBA going on at that time. They they actually lead our expansion teams in um, offensive rating, but they're also the worst in defensive rating. So it's quite interesting there. Uh, they grade out kind of in the middle of the road, expected win. Um, the Timberwolves are about the same as well. They're sort of middle of the road. I, yeah, neither of these teams really, um, they don't really have the same magic as those other teams, not pun sort of intended, but yeah, it, it's, it, it was a lot. Yeah. You sort of, 
it yeah the, you the, you had already lost sort of a lot of guys I mean, a lot of teams had went that that previous a lot of guys had went to the you know the Hornets and the Heat and that sort of stuff and then there is sort of a different sort of way of building teams there but yeah there's there's really not anything particularly exciting about either of these teams I always sort of I have a fondness for the, those early Timberwolves teams that really love that logo and their jerseys and the color scheme and all that sort of stuff and the Magic obviously turned into what they turned into but at the time they're really just kind of there and they really got lost in the mix there for a while as well yeah. so yeah there, there's especially the Timberwolves is we'll, we'll get into too I mean there was. I mean, they might have well not been a franchise for like for about ten years because it was really nothing until Kevin Garnett came. Right. And yeah. And came, and now it's sort of again they're in this little weird period. So yeah, uh, yeah. The Magic actually, you know, uh, again, were sort of that iconic '90s franchise. I mean, they had the they had the black pinstripes. They of course had Shaq and Penny you know, two years in a row, which led to them having some really good teams, making a finals appearance, and looking like the team in, uh, of the future until Shaq left, and then Penny had a terrible injury. Um, uh, ACL injury that you know um, made him a far lesser of a player for the rest of his career, um, but so they had so they were you know one of the more successful teams in mm-hmm. their first five six years and then it you know it kind of fell apart from there. They're almost at the same level of as the um, as the as the Bucks. Yeah, and unfortunately the Wolves hitched their wagon to the the Isaiah Ryder Christian Leitner train, no, and that didn't that wasn't quite so uh, no. work out too but well. They got and then Garnett, the so for a while. you know, and then that didn't work, and then the Garnett. Yeah, so it all worked out. The Wally Zerbiak and Garnett thing helped out, but yeah, they they're just a team that's so weird. I mean, it, it's you, you just I, I just can't I, I have no memories of them. You know what I'm saying? Of like my youth growing up, like I kind of remember them in NBA Jam, but nobody picked them ever. Like you just faced them right at the beginning, and then like like whoever picked. The Wolves, like nobody ever in NBA Jam when I played, picked them, and they're just they're just kind of there, and it's just such a weird franchise for so long, and and they're you know finally a little bit relevant now, but it, it's 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 been a weird run for the Wolves, whereas you know the Magic have had a, a what I would consider a decent amount of success. I mean they're sort of swimming in place now, but for the most part, I mean you have a bunch of Finals appearances or a few Finals appearances, Eastern Conference Finals, and obviously you know Shaq, Dwight Howard, you know just a lot of guys in there, and Tracy McGrady in the early you know 2000s, so they 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 certainly have a little bit more than the Wolves, but. Yeah, interesting teams, interesting expansions as well. Yeah, um, and so then we uh, then we go to uh, ninety five, ninety six season with the uh, NBA goes to Canada with uh, the Toronto Raptors who win twenty one games, and the Vancouver Grizzlies with fifteen wins. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Um, there are actually, you know, a, a good number of players that you would have uh, heard of. Um, uh, you know, I think it helps that they, that they happened more recently. But um, uh, key players for the Raptors: Damon Stoudemire, Oliver Miller, Alvin Robertson. At the end of his career, uh, they also have um, they have Doug Young or Youngish Doug Christie, yeah. uh, John Sally toward the end of his career as well. Um, Herb Williams played one game for them, um, <clears throat> and then uh, Vancouver. Uh, they were led by Blue Edwards uh, and oh, led <laughs> big country Brian Reeves. Uh, the lead quotes. Yeah. <laughs> Greg Anthony, uh, Byron Scott, and boy, I I can't imagine how much Byron Scott hated being on the. Uh, oh yeah, that's a guy who had already at this point how many titles? I mean, he has what? How many titles uh, under his belt? Three or four. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so hey, going to Vancouver. Yeah, cool. he, he he did get one year on the Lakers after this to end his career. So I guess he For should sure, be happy so. with. And they also had uh, Gerald Wilkins. Um, 
and Benoit Benjamin played 13 games there. You know, the um, the Raptors actually drafted B.J. Armstrong first in the expansion draft, but B.J. didn't play for the um, – he went to Golden State instead. Yeah, so immediately traded. Yeah. I'm not sure what happened. Uh, that... Which, again, I'm sure B.J. was also ecstatic about. Yeah, right, right, exactly. <laughs> like for the Bulls, so, who had just won three, t- you know, three titles and then, you know, a, a long playoff run to going to the Toronto Raptors. Yeah, he was, he was traded – by the Raptors to Golden State for a bunch of players. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming he didn't want to play in Toronto. So No, yeah, I don't think yeah. so. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and um, the Raptors, they, uh, they're by the year 2000, by the year 2000 season, they're actually, a, you know, pretty good team. They have a few good runs um, in the East with uh, Carter um, as Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady uh, there for a little while. Um before that kind of falls apart and uh and the grizzlies are historically awful uh with terrible terrible uniforms until oh, you bite your tongue. moving no. to uh memphis no uh, the kodiak bear into... grabbing there the grizzly no no you're wrong now this raises an interesting question do you think like like i do think that like a having a horribly unattractive uniform is <laughs> I, I disagree i'm not gonna look well to okay let, 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 until let, you agree that they are just, the best uniforms ever okay no, let, let's do accepting whether the grizzlies have bad or, or good <laughs> uniforms let's just say like as an academic you know exercise do okay. you think that ugly uniforms are a decent deterrent to having people root for your team I think so. Absolutely. I mean, we we just talked about the Hornets uh, a little bit ago, a team that was you know super supporting. I think a lot of that was they had cool uniforms, a cool logo, just a cool you know overall sense of their team. Whereas you look at those Grizzlies, and they're just hideous. Like there's like you see those pictures, and and I was just joking at the beginning. They're actually just god awful uniforms. But yeah, no, it'd be hard to really root for them at any point. I, it, it, it's weird to say if it was like a, a chicken or egg or if it was just because we're saying this because we know Vancouver didn't support them or, you know, not, but I think, I don't think you're totally off, off kilter with that. I mean, these are just God awful, you know, and like, cause you wouldn't buy you, Could you possibly imagine even in the nineties and people were obviously did not care that much about fashion <laughs> in the nineties or else they wouldn't have wore half the stuff they did. But like, you don't see anybody with a Vancouver. Gri- I mean, have you ever seen somebody with a Vancouver Grizzlies? Jersey? Uh, I mean, not unless they're ironic, probably. Right, and even then, like I don't even think like you could pull it off ironically. It's that hideous, but that, that's what I mean. Whereas, that's a big part of being a fan is you know buying T-shirts, buying merchandise, buying that sort of stuff. And they just had a horrible logo, a miserable color scheme. It was like you know the poo brown and, and like teal. It was like what what are you doing? Like just awful. And what were the like the the accent on their like sleeves? Like what was that? Yeah, it was. It's it just was like not weird good. symbols. Like I don't even yeah, know what it's it supposed looks to be. Like, in, like tribal this, or something. Yeah, I... and then you have the weird like broken out like rock font for the the, the grizzlies and the big grizzly holding a basket it's just like yeah. what are you doing? I, I do like, like i like the grizzly holding the basketball i will say that but okay. the rest of it well, i'm um you know i mean i don't love it but i i don't know i have i have a thing for bears with basketballs so i don't know it's just a okay. weird thing That's it. no, I don't, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't talk should about it, the doctor but, you should definitely uh, yeah it's suppressed but yeah. yeah so um and this is interesting i i thought that um you know because there's Sort of. I, I know you have some stuff on kind of the idea of whether there's really a huge amount of disparity or whether there's a whole lot of, uh, you know, um, 
teams with extremes at either end during expansion years. But it was interesting. The year of expansion, there were five 55-plus win teams in the NBA. And then in 97, there were actually 10 teams that won 54 or more games, which, I believe, which I'm almost certain is the NBA record. I think there's been <laughs> eight or seven here and there. But um, so I, it's – it's interesting that around the time, not exactly in the year, but around that time, there is such a, you know, like all these super teams or, you know, for lack of a better term are, um, and obviously your record is somewhat padded. If you have, you know, um, two new teams that you can get six or seven or eight wins against, um, that's going to help, you know, um, that's going to help you out certainly. But, um, I thought that was kind of, I'm not sure what it says exactly, but I thought it was interesting. No, absolutely. And, I, and I'm running, I, I did a little bit of a study here real quick. Um, I just looked at the best and worst team each year. I think it, if I had time, I would stretch this out a little bit more to be maybe the, the, the top three and then the worst three. And then maybe that would give us a little bit more of an idea. But basically what I did is I did the best team of that year and then the worst team of that year and then looked at their the, the win-loss disparity. And uh, in um, all years from 1997 until – sorry, where did I might begin here? Uh, 1958, uh, the average difference is uh, 43.2 wins. Uh, and then in expansion years in that same time, it's 46.4. So it's not like insane as, as we sort of thought of the disparities, it, it, but it is only, it, it is three wins and that's, that's fairly significant uh, three wins. So th- it's there, but yeah, it's, it's certainly, I mean, it's not like we're saying that it's not, I mean, there's definitely a, um, especially when you look at the tread line as well, uh, it is more significant, the, the win differential between, you know, in the expansion years and in not, but just not as much as I probably would have assumed, but I, I would like to maybe, and maybe post-show I'll, I'll do this a little bit more is to stretch that. And as you sort of mentioned, go over three or five teams and, and look at that disparity between what I would really consider the elite teams and then the, the really down, because I, I don't know if it's quite going to be as good if you just do the low and just do the high, but, but interesting nonetheless. So, yeah. um, so we're down to our last team. It is the, uh, 2004 05 Charlotte Bobcats who won 18 games. They're, uh, Key players were Emeka Okafor, who they drafted at number two, uh, mm-hmm. Primo Brezic, uh, the big center, uh, Gerald Wallace, who kind of ended up being probably their definitely their best player of uh, of the decade. Uh, also, they had Brevin Knight, uh, Melvin Eli, Jason Capono, uh, Steve Smith at the end of his career, uh, Matt Carroll. Uh, Eddie House played 300 minutes for them uh, before yeah, he yeah. You know, latched on to the Celtics and the Heat and uh, and, and those teams. So um, so they had an interesting uh, mix of guys. Um, I also noticed that looking at the entire expansion draft that um, there was a Zaza Pachulia and um, – and also uh, Pedro Drobniak, of course, who are uh, great members of the 2004-2005 Hawks. So, sure, there we yeah. go. Got it in yeah. there. Nice. So um, I, this is not uh, – you know, it's not necessarily a historically bad team, but it's definitely a, a, a very bad team. And they did not – they were pretty bad until they kind of made a one-year playoff run as an eighth seed in, in, in 2010, got destroyed in the playoffs, and then were historically awful uh, up until 2014 when they had uh, another uh, a slightly better playoff run. Um, and uh, and now, they're of course, they're the Hornets. So And there's a little bit more excitement about, you know, kind of what they're going to be doing over the next couple of years. They have some pretty good young players and good good coach and that kind of thing. So be interesting to see how they end up uh, turning out. Certainly, yeah, they're they're an interesting case of they they really haven't had we we sort of every team we've mentioned has sort of had a maybe the Grizzlies I would say is is one that's sort of but then again they've had this pretty good run with with Randolph where I mean I really cannot say that the Bobcats have ever had a, a real 
what I would consider a good run. I mean, you mentioned there's those few little, uh, you know, playoff birds and, and, and that sort of stuff. And we might see it, you know, this year with, with the Hornets and maybe they'll put it, you know, string together a little bit run of uh, playoffs. But yeah, as far as like French, I mean, even the Grizzlies have had even a little bit more success. But these guys, I mean, they, they nothing yet at all. And it's been a lot of years as well. I mean, we're talking 2004. You know, it's been, almost it's been 10 a decade, years yeah. With, so. with, with, with very little. And, and you really don't see that. Any t- all the teams we've mentioned have had their rough spots, but it, it, usually within that first decade, there was at least some sort of, you know, multiple years with playoff runs, and, and yeah. the Bobcats, unfortunately, are, are not. I so. think the Jazz are the only other team that <clears throat> didn't – it had a similar thing. You're right, and they, and they had to try out loud and be as awful as they were, like because they had a clearly drunk GM that just went – Yes. Wild and <laughs> had no idea what he was doing. I think I forgot, there's a book that kind of covers all their transactions. It's just like like he would just write stuff on like napkins while he was drunk and do these like it was just not good at all. All right. Well, I, um, I that that's about it. Uh, is yeah. there uh, anything else that uh, in any of your uh, crunching the numbers that you found that's uh, that, that's interesting that we can talk about? Uh, not really. I just thought I'd go uh, real re- uh, kind of a recap right now. Um look at all the teams and look at sort of where they ranked uh, the, the um, offensive rating, our worst uh, offensive team of all the expansion teams, as I mentioned, is the Chicago Packers, 1961 uh, at 90, which is not good <laughs> at all. Um, but shockingly, they're also our best defensive team at 95. But as mentioned, they probably is a different NBA as well with different leagues. So you know, the numbers can be a little bit different there. Uh, the best offense was the uh, 89 Orlando Magic at 105.8. And then the worst defense um, was, of course, the Orlando Magic. So there you go. You get a little bit of a uh, interesting <laughs> thing there with the offensive ratings. Um, expected win percentage uh, was tied. The two teams with the worst were the Miami Heat and the Vancouver Grizzlies. So it's the 88 Miami Heat and the 95 Grizzlies for expected wins. Uh, the 1966 uh, Chicago Bulls are our best expected win. Uh, and then the next uh, best is the 1970 Portland Trailblazers in there. And then obviously expected losses will, will sort of reflect the same uh, thing there. Um I did a little bit of a difference here that uh, the win differential between the, uh, the 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 expansion team that we're talking about and the best team in the league. And actually, the best one was the 1968 Milwaukee Bucks. They only had a 30 uh, win differential between uh, them and obviously the, the best team in the league that year. Uh, the worst was obviously you can probably assume the Vancouver Grizzlies, who were 57 games worse than the uh, 72 win Chicago Bulls. So. That was an easy one that I knew was going to happen. But yeah. it's 50. It's just funny. To, there were 57 wins, you know, worse than the Bulls. That's just like shockingly. It's just hard to comprehend. But yeah, that's when it happens when you have the best team ever and then one of the worst teams ever. So Vancouver Grizzlies. Yeah, yeah that's that's them there, right? Uh, real quick, I did uh, attendance rank as well, which I wanted to see. Um, as I mentioned, the Charlotte Hornets in 1988 were uh, the number one team in attendance. Uh, the 1989 Minnesota Timberwolves were also the number one team in attendance. And mind you, this is this is total attendance, so total numbers. So I, I, I didn't get a percent here, so it might be a little bit different. A uh, big reason why the Timberwolves were number one is they played in the, uh, the Metrodome at that point, the the Triple H Dome at that point. So they, I'm sure, were, were packing guys in. Uh, the Toronto Raptors, uh, 1995, they were uh, third uh, in attendance. And that was the year that they played in the um, – oh, they played in a weird arena. Did they play in the Sky Dome? The Sky Dome, yeah, that was okay. it. Yeah, right, right, right. I was, I was blanking if, if they had an in-between. Uh, I don't know, but they were in the Sky Dome, the weird, like, tarped-off, you know, Sky Dome. That was, like, when the, when the Pistons played in the Silver Dome, and right. it was just, like, horrendous-looking, and they just had, like, white curtains everywhere and, and all that stuff. Uh, the Orlando Magic, they uh, were 12th in the league in attendance. The Miami Heat were also 12th in the league. Uh, Dallas Mavericks, has mentioned, they were 18th. And, of course, the Vancouver Grizzlies started off real well with uh, their 20th in attendance rate for their initial year, and it never really ever got better for the Vancouver Grizzlies. Yeah. So or Vancouver. that was a historic, uh, not very good idea for an expansion team, the, the Vancouver Grizzlies. Whereas most of these teams, I mean, a few moved here and there, but I think it, maybe, let me ask you, out of all these, who, who, what was the biggest mistake 
of bringing any of these teams in the league in your mind? If there was a real well, a mistake, like the, like the specific team or what the teams did, uh, maybe just a, I guess because yeah, city wise. I mean, would it be Vancouver, New Orleans? Do you think would be? Yeah, I mean, those are the ones where it failed the quickest. Obviously, um, San Diego's, but I mean, they've gone back to New Orleans, so I, you know, I guess they've at least demonstrated that New Orleans is a, is a pretty viable market for mm-hmm. the NBA. Um, I, you know, it, it, it's hard to say. I mean. Um, but I, I, you know, I would say, I mean, I think Vancouver and New Orleans, uh, the Jazz, I think they were both done in by just having such incredibly terrible teams. Right. I mean, I think that's part of it. I mean, Vancouver's a nice city that probably could support a team in, under the right circumstances. They just basically did everything wrong. I mean, at least the Jazz yeah. brought in like a really talent, you know, a, a guy who was perceived as a huge star and they gave a lot of weight, but they, you know, they weren't necessarily like the most awful. I mean, they, after that first year, they were more like, you know, like a 35 level win team. Um, right. Where the Grizzlies followed up two years later by winning eight. Right. Games, I so. mean, yeah, they, they were, yeah. <laughs> like, and the lockout year. I mean, so they were, yeah, I mean, they were, they were never good until they moved to Memphis. Um, yeah. But, you know, even though um, ter- they've had a similar timeline as far as playoff success as Toronto, or at least making the playoffs as Toronto did, Toronto had, had some decent teams in between there. Um, and exciting teams. Right, I mean, exactly. Just, yeah, and Vancouver I mean, just had nothing. I mean, they made every— Like, I like Mike Bibby, and I like Sharif Abdul-Rahim, but, like, that's not—I mean, Vince Carter was, you know, jumping over fools and, you know, winning dunk contests, and you have Mike Bibby and Bryant Reeves and, and Sharif Abdul-Rahim, so it's, it, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, pretty so. much every other team was, you know, ha- had a decent or to good team within five years certainly within 10 years um i, I think that new orleans and uh, vancouver stand out and i, I guess um uh, the, the chicago packers uh, the, uh sort of stand out for their ineptitude certainly yeah yeah and, and for the most part i mean they, they're pretty stable when you look at these and, and, and sort of It'd be interesting. I, I think it'd be interesting uh, if somebody, maybe you know, us or someone else, could uh, look at, at at the other leagues' expansion teams and see sort of the stability between the two. Because I feel like the NBA is not bad. I mean, you have a few moves here and there, but I, I without knowing the context of the other leagues, I, I, I can't really say. But um, yeah, the NHL in particular, I'd be very interested in because I, I I'm just not you know obviously an NHL historian at all. But they're fairly stable for the NBA, I think, for the expansion. Yeah, teams, so. I mean, there there were some moves here and there. Um, you know, there's been uh, you know, at least four or five. Uh, I mean, Seattle, but that was you know that was 40 years later almost. So that one I don't think quite counts. You know, um, but you know there were probably four to five of the these uh, teams that, you know, that, that have moved the rest of them, you know, pretty much have, have stayed yeah. put. So that's not a terrible percentage. Um, I, I think a lot of it did happen during that tumultuous seventies time where I think it adds right. a little bit to the feeling of instability just because, you know, there was so much change during that time anyway, that, you know, moving the franchises, I think adds to that a little bit, but, but since the eighties um, has happened, there has been, you know, quite you know, into the nineties that there's been quite a bit less of that, you know, certainly. All right, Rich. Well, I think uh, we did a pretty good job here. I, I you know, I, I was worried that we were going to overhype it, but I feel pretty comfortable that we, <laughs> that, we, that we gave a good product out to people. So, um, I, uh, so thanks everyone for checking us out. Um, we would uh, love it if you would follow us on Twitter at over and back NBA. Uh, we are part of the HPB network, um, uh, podcast feed on iTunes. Uh, if you look for hardwood paroxysm network, um, or if you search for, um, 
over and back NBA. Uh, you should be able to find it pretty easily in iTunes, or there's a link at the uh, bottom of the post at thepodiumgame.com that you can uh, check out our iTunes feed. We would love it if you subscribed. We would absolutely love it if you left a review and a rating. And if you do so and let us know either on Twitter or as a comment on the post, um, then we will talk about any uh, basketball-related subject that you wish for uh, two minutes. So, uh Take advantage of that if you're interested in hearing us uh, talk about something, you know, pretty much whatever you want. Absolutely. We encourage it. So definitely uh, leave us a review and, and follow us on Twitter and, and continue. It's been good interactions on Twitter as well. So we like that. We like feedback as well. Yeah, we've so, been getting um, some good stuff. Tell us, yeah, tell us when we're wrong. Tell us if you disagree. Tell us if you agree. Tell us you like. We just like anything. Yeah, just we, talk we to like to talk. We're talkers. <laughs> so, all right, Rich. Well, thanks again for another good show. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.